0: Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies on this day, Christmas Day... Do I hear... Santa? Santa's coming. Some sort of Christmas instrument.
1: <laughs> you know I like the sound effects. Especially at Christmas. Merry Christmas, Joshua. Merry Christmas, Robert. Here, I got you a gift.
0: I got you a gift.
1: It feels like a pack of cards. Well, Go on, open it. Alright. Let's see...
0: <laughs> this is brilliant. Uno. A pack now customizable wild cards. Because you en- you enjoyed it so much when we played it in the pub the other month. I did. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. I'll open mine Thank now. you. I'll open mine. Is it a bike? Do it. Is it a bike? Yeah, it's a very flat bike. It's good wrapping paper.
1: I've had that since last year because obviously I, I didn't say, you actually wrap any gifts paper last paper. year. I've still got it's three a... rolls left.
0: It's a cardboard box. (laughs) (laughs) What's in the open cardboard box? It's going to be a picture of some sort. Oh my God, what is this? Let's see.
1: (sighs) Hang
0: on. What is this? He's
1: trying. He's trying to do it.
0: Right. What is this? So one of them
1: is just something I needed to give you that I've forgotten to give you, which is a poster of Dune.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what this is. Right. So this is... Yeah. This is a, a fold poster out poster. Dune. Both which... versions. Ah, it's a double sided poster. Ah, double-sided. Double sided. Yes.
1: Double the fun.
0: Someone's been stealing stuff from work. <laughs> no, I bought that. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh double sided poster of Dune. Brilliant. I'll see if I can get I'll see if I can get a frame that has an opening on either side so I can just flip it.
1: Ah,
0: yeah. That'd that's be quite a good cool. Idea. And this is a mini poster. It's like a fake newspaper from Nightmare on Elm Street. Witness claims Freddy Krueger is back from the dead. Ah. Oh, I do like this. Thank you, Joshua. Pleasure. Nothing says Christmas more than a child molester. (laughs) And nothing says Christmas more than the Christmas movie. We watched Trading Places, directed by John Landis. Joshua. Christmas, 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 Christmas. Louis Winthorpe, played by
1: Dan Aykroyd, is a wealthy commodities director at a company called Duke and Duke. It's run by Duke and Duke, played by uh, Ralph Bellamy and Don Amesh, or Amechi, who are sort of greedy, incredibly wealthy brothers. They're bored, they make bets, and they decide to make a bet that they can make a street uh, what's he called? Like a, a he's a con man. He's a beggar con man, played by Eddie Murphy. They bet that they could turn him into a sort of a well turned out commodities dealer, and simultaneously completely tear apart Dan Aykroyd as sort of like a social experiment. Uh, and so that's what they do. They they yeah, that's what they do <laughs> for one dollar, for one whole dollar. And comedy and the ensued. film is all about the high jinks that happen when they do this.
0: Have you seen this before?
1: I have, but it was a very long time ago to such a degree I'd actually forgotten I had seen it. Oh, um, really? So it felt almost like a first watch watching it this time.
0: I seem to have a plane about you? going overhead. <laughs> I wonder if they are going to parachute out and give me my dollar. <laughs> I have seen it. When I was getting into films in a big bad way, it sort of late 90s early 2000s I watched a lot of John Landis movies he was one of the first directors that I got into he was one of the first directors when I understood what a director actually was you know when you're you're a kid growing up you're just like oh I want to watch the new Hulk Hogan film I want to watch (laughs) the new you know Three Ninja Kids film you don't really understand that these films have someone in charge Mm Mm-hmm so, so which me, one was the first John Landis that kind of got you into Landis? It was probably The Blues Brothers, mm. which was a couple of films before this. Um, Animal House, Schlock Movie, this, Spies Like Us, um, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Three Amigos, yeah. So, you know, he he was reigning high in the late 70s, early, ni- uh, early 80s to mid 80s. Yeah. And I think... Really, if you look at his films, Training Places is his last great movie. He's made movies since, but he's never, ever been as shit hot as he was with this film.
1: Well, yeah, because after this, he did Three Amigos, which was sort of, you know, a fun concept, but a bit throwaway.
0: And a, comp- and a remake of, um, basically, a remake of Seven Samurai. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a mm. comedy remake of that. And then didn't he do Beverly Hills Cop 3 with Eddie Murphy as well? Yeah, but that was
0: the one that was... uh, They tried to make it more like a drama. Oh, no. Yeah, it's terrible. It feels like a TV movie. It feels like a TV movie, and it's set in like Mm. a a theme park. Really quite awful stuff. And then he did um, Blues Brothers 2000, which was a, a much, very unneeded sequel to a brilliant film. Then there was a big break, and then he did... Birkin musket or something Birkin Hare with Simon Pegg and um, oh, yeah. uh, the Gollum Man. What's the Gollum Man called? What's his name? Andy Serkis. Uh, circus. Yeah, him. And then he hasn't directed since, as far as I can tell. And then tell. he made Max Landis,
1: and Max Landis made Chronicle <laughs> and American Ultra and Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> so it's continuing got through Max.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, I genuinely love this film, and it's if I ever catch it on television, I just have to watch it from where I find it to the end. <laughs> it's one of those films. Um, I do like the way that it it starts on the working class in Philadelphia, in those opening credits. And bit by bit, we're making our way to Dan Aykroyd's house where his butler Coleman is preparing his breakfast. And we're <laughs> cutting back and forth between... People opening up like a little butchers, people chopping meat, people in a shit street <laughs> mm. and then the Liberty Bell, and then we're into the rich area. Comedies you don't you don't often get social commentary in comedies, but from the get-go, this is a film that understands that we're not just a comedy. We are commenting on something that is so important at the time with reagan's america mm. did that surprise you that that um that aspect of it
1: i think that's what i really liked the first time i watched it was i was expecting sort of a bit of a you know a wild sort of comedy with not much going on apart from like some fun performances and then at the end you actually you you get this um observation on how america works and how high up the corruption goes and, um, you know, essentially the, the kind of the, the little people, or I mean, Eddie Murphy, who's sort of like a, a street con man, he ends up winning because he sort of learns, I don't know, I guess that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, does, does he win because he learns how corrupt everything is and therefore he is able to sort of con the system himself or it does he win because he's a, like a better person? Than they are.
0: Well, I think that I think I'll answer that question with a question of my own. Does Billy Ray <laughs> Valentine <always> do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it ties. I'll ask in. that question with another question. <laughs> um, does Billy Ray Valentine, who's the Eddie Murphy character, does he get corrupted when he is handed all this wealth and all this status?
1: Well, yeah, because there's the scene where he has the massive party at the house and he brings back all his kind of old barfly buddies you know all mm. the the prostitutes and the the kind of tagging up on friends who just want to get pissed and very very quickly he realizes that actually he doesn't want to do that anymore and he kicks them all out and you kind of see him changing he becomes more like the dukes more like what winthorpe was like before he was taken down but weirdly sort of without seeming to lose his own sense of who he is. Mm. You know, he he kind of corrects himself when he talks, but he still talks sort of in a in a very free kind of way. It um, does become
0: a little bit more refined the way he talks. Oh, he definitely
1: becomes more refined.
0: Cuz he's not talking like um, you know, he's not he's not talking like a jar of turkey. Yeah. Is well he? his
1: whole body language changes. Yeah, it becomes very like... still. His yeah, facial like... expressions change.
0: Almost like a completely different character. But when he first gets to the bar, he's showing off all the money. Yeah, and then as he's you horrified. would Well, I get. Yeah, I think you would if you just suddenly if you go from absolutely nothing to absolutely everything.
1: Mm. And if you're they, kind of a, an extroverted person who has had to talk to sort of talk themselves out of situations their entire life. Um, because of their circumstances, then it makes sense for them to to continue that behavior of, look what I got, you know. Kind but of he, thing. but
0: he doesn't lose his sense of what's right or wrong. No, he might be a street hustler, but he gives back the money clip that one of the Duke brothers leaves on the floor purposely as a test. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, they test him.
0: He 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 understands the the value of a dollar he understands the inherent worth of things which is why he's Mm. so pissed off when someone's burnt a hole in his cigarette carpets or the freeloaders are just taking the fucking piss
1: yeah and you kind of you like him so much by the end and you want him to to win essentially because you see i mean you, you you completely buy into the film's philosophy basically which is that um give somebody a chance just because they're living on the street and, you know, they're wearing dirty clothes or whatever and they're begging for, to survive doesn't mean they're a less a lesser person yeah. than somebody who's got a nice suit and a clean face and, you know, goes and works in an office. Um, it's, it's a very humanistic kind of message that this film conveys, I think.
0: I think the loveliest moment for Billy Ray's character is when he discovers the Duke's plan he immediately goes to find Winthorpe. Yeah. He goes to find Dan Atkroyd's character who's been swindled by the Jews out of the life that he was born into. I don't think Winthorpe would have done that. I think Winthorpe <laughs> would have been very confrontational with the Dukes. He wouldn't have thought to go and get Billy Ray. Well, it's about entitlement,
1: isn't it? He feels entitled to to this position and this much money. And when
0: Winthorpe.
1: Yeah. And who somebody somebody says to him something like, "Oh, you've worked really hard," or, and Winthrop looks a bit like, "Well, no, I haven't really." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then she, Jamie Lee Curtis, grabs his hands when she's in the taxi, and she says, "Your hands are yeah. very soft," as in the case of like, "You haven't worked a day in your life."
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a real but do you think it's believable? Do you think that it's believable that that um, Billy Ray Valentine actually? does sort of come good and he he does he is conscientious and does kind of try to help Winthorpe do you think that's sort of a believable arc that he goes through
0: well I don't disbelieve it I mean it's a very high concept so you I Hmm. think if you believe the the concept you kind of you kind of just buy into everything that comes afterwards but I don't disbelieve that he would be incredibly empathetic he grew up on the street, so I guess you have to keep you know, you're not alone on the street. Society mm. might have shunned you, but there's a community on the street and they were obviously all band together. Yeah. You know, everyone everyone at that bar knows Billy Ray. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That comes yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: So did you feel sympathy for Winthorpe when he was stripped of his status?
0: No, I didn't. <laughs> No, I never have,
1: because he's it's he's... played up for sort of really broad laughs. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dan Aykroyd's not known for his nuance, is he? <laughs> no. But he is such a horrible, horrible character. Uh huh.
1: Well, he's just sort of um, he's almost vacant, and sort of naive, and he's following this path that clearly has been set by the generations before him. You know, yeah. you've got all those massive paintings that are hanging um in at the, the club. at the club where it's sort of like history, the male history precedes them all. And so he like when he's talking to um Penelope with, Witherspoon, no relation. <laughs> no. Um he uh he doesn't seem to be really talking um there's no depth whatsoever to it. He's, he's pure surface. He's pure sort of appearance. And yeah. that's why when he goes to the club and seeks out his former friends for help, they won't help him because it's all surface. He looks a state in, in their eyes. Therefore, why would they help him? He's transformed
0: into something they, they can't possibly understand. Because he doesn't fit into the, the pre-described life that they've been told their life should go. The life that they've been handed, basically, they're all living off mummy and daddy's money. You know, that's yeah. not that's not Winthrop's house. That's the Duke's house, which is why he's able to be kicked out by Coleman. So, the, so the Dukes own that his house. Yeah, it's obviously owned by the bank, which is named mm. after the the characters Duke and Duke.
1: I did feel a little bit like um, Coleman never really gets his comeuppance for sort of just. Going along with everything the dukes tell him to do, carte yeah, blanche. Exactly.
0: He he's the biggest winner. He flats yeah. over Winthorpe and gets to win all the money at the end and live on the island. Yeah, he played a clever game. <laughs> but there is a a lovely bit of um empathy bit of a slightly redeeming moment when he's pretending not to recognize winthorpe and he's got Mm -hmm. the chain on the door he's got the door chained and before he shuts the door after saying like sorry you don't live here or something along those lines there's a slight hint of guilt yeah and regret before he shuts the door oh yeah so
1: i think maybe that's a moment we're supposed to empathize with him where it's sort of like he seem like he seems to be in a position of power because he's able to obstruct Winthorpe from getting through the the door, but he is you know inverted is just a butler he's he's not the one who makes the rules he's told what the rules are, but he's so he's so um capricious you know as soon as he gets the phone call, you don't hear what the Duke say to him. But within a space of about 20 seconds, he's completely agreed and said, oh, I'll sort it out
0: now. It's like, how do you know how to set this up? Have you done this before? Ah, well, that's not the first bet that they've made with each other because they're like the usual amount, one dollar. So maybe they have kicked someone out of the house before. Maybe. He's probably not that much younger than the Duke. So maybe he's worked for the family for a long time. So he's just used to their bullshit. And he knows that maybe he's, couple of years away from retirement I'll just roll my eyes grim and bear it and just get through it
1: he's like Alfred he's like oh you always come home wearing that latex bloody
0: bat suit (laughs) if Valentine had been born into wealth and status would he have been more accepted
1: yeah well I guess is that a question about racial prejudice because there is a moment in the film where a, there is a black character who works at Duke and Duke and he seems mm, to be I noticed that. Yeah, he seems to be sort of like just one of them um, in their eyes whereas
0: uh, Valentine isn't seen that way by them. There's that bit where they um, where the Dukes settle the bet one dollar and one of them says uh, the the one with the um, the harder of the two, the one with the probably the, the one with the moustache yeah, says along it. the lines of, of course there's something wrong with him. He's an N-word. He's probably yeah. been stealing since he could crawl. That was earlier in the film. Later on, he says, I would never have let an N-word run the company. And then the other one, the softer one, the one who collapses at the end, who you think is the nicer of the two, goes, yeah, me too. I would never have let an N-word run the company. So mm. even if he had been born into wealth or if he did have some wealth or he had some status... He would never have been accepted in the same way that Winthorpe. No way. Not in 80s America. Just about now. Yeah.
1: Well, definitely not in that enormously patriarchal system where it's all white men. I don't think it's
0: got anything to do with patriarchy. I think it's got to do with empire, which is like the old old America. The the generational wealth. It all stems from you know, who owned the land, who who controlled the industry. You know, yeah. there's a massive thing in America of the, the difference between the, the, the inherited wealth and the wealth passed down through the white generations compared to the black generations, which is why white people are seen and proved as ahead economically because they have all this acquired property and all this mm-hmm. acquired stock. Whereas black people were slaves. So yeah. they're at a disadvantage. The white the white generations have a head start. This film yeah. I think touches upon it in the way that it it can in a zany nineteen eighties style Saturday night comedy.
1: Yeah, I mean it's very it's super progressive in the way that it it does portray the rich white men. You know, and they're all sort of older as well, but it, or maybe not. I mean, Winthorpe's friends are all sort of 30s, but it does. No, but they've inherited, the villains. they've inherited yeah.
0: the opinions of their parents, who inherited Absolutely. the opinions of the grandparents. Yeah. I would hate yeah. to hang out with his friends. People who just burst into song are disgusting. They were so boring. <laughs> they looked quite a bit younger than him as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's just because Dan Ackroyd had gained about five or six stones since Blues Brothers. Uh, Three years before. So he yeah. looked a bit, looked a little bit older. What <laughs> makes this a Christmas movie? Oh, he gets dressed up in a
1: Santa suit, doesn't he? That's instantly makes it a Christmas movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, aside from being set at Christmas.
1: Well, so okay. Christmas stories are traditionally about rogging the past, you know, love, acceptance, all that kind of stuff, happy endings. And this film has all of that. It does feel Dickensian, it-
0: doesn't it? a flawed individual. They have their lives turned upside down and then they grow and they learn a valuable lesson and it's all around Christmas time. And then seemingly at the end, they are a changed person. Yeah. But did they learn their lesson? Did any of them (laughs) learn a lesson in this film?
1: No, because it's still all about who's rich, who's got the money. (laughs) So even though they cheated and sort of got revenge on the Duke brothers, Duke and Duke, um, it's still all about the, the the sort of the depiction of their s- sort of success um or the the symbolism of their success is they're rich yeah so they haven't seemingly really learned anything apart from you've got to figure out how to get the bigger fish
0: and how do they figure it out i've never fully understood how they they win how the fuck do they they cheat <laughs> I think
1: John Landis has said that he never really understood exactly how they win at the end in, the, in
0: that exchange market exchange place. There's the crop report, which the real one is going to show that there's a good yeah, there's good conditions, so then the price will come down low. But they use the fake one to say that the crop is going to be bad, which pushes the price up, and then when the New when the real crop report is revealed, as good, so then yeah. the price drops low with which they sell and they make all. The, I, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just I just because... I, don't, I don't zone out. I just go right. They've won. I just. It seems like they're happy. They've won. They yeah. won. They're it, happy. They look happy. The dukes are on the floor.
1: Yeah, one of the one of them has a heart attack, which is just like the fine, the final kind of um, knife. Um, but that kind of seems like that's what happens. I don't know. Cause they invest, they take, um, they take Ophelia's money and Coleman's money, don't they? Yeah. And they invest that in the orange, uh, farming. Frozen or orange juice market. Yeah, frozen orange. So that's how they do it. But I still don't. And also I'm just like, that looks like such a stressful place to work. And how does anyone actually get any trading done when everyone's screaming and shouting and throwing how bits of paper keep track at? of what's what? I know who's... How does anyone know who's saying what? I know they wear the (laughs) the tags where they have their initials on. So you can very easily see what someone's badge says and you can write it on your ledger. But I'm just like, that doesn't seem like a very fair thing.
0: I don't understand what... How do they write it give it to someone? And then that doesn't make any sense to me.
1: And also, is it a prerequisite that you have to have a really loud voice to do the job? Is there like some kind of voice test when you go for your job interview? No, you're too quiet. You can't work there. Sorry.
0: I want you about bail the. I was asking, I want to bail. I want to bail. By 30th of April of 142. What did you say? By 30th of April of 142. <laughs> yeah, you can't be meek at the stock exchange. No. What's the wider fallout when Duke and Duke collapses? The fallout between the brothers? No, no, no. When the actual bank collapses. Not when oh, Duke right. collapses. <laughs> I mean, they take him away to the hospital. Yeah. But what do you mean, by the fallout? Well, when a bank collapses, it's not just a case of, oh, some people lose some money. It can have really serious consequences on the economy. <laughs> yeah. The government will have to bail the bank out because if the bank fails, then the other banks can fail because they all borrow against and from each other. There'll be job losses. Taxes will go up in order to cover the bailout but and that that pushes people into poverty and they can't afford their homes so then the homes are repossessed which forces banks to get more bailouts and more no but they cover breaks. this in
1: the sequel in the big short they cover it in the sequel to trading places don't
0: in worry that, in that uh documentary the big short yeah <laughs> But, you know, just as long as our heroes are okay on their private island and how, how good is, is Eddie Murphy's hearing that he can hear what Dan Aykroyd yeah. has shouted from the yacht three quarters of a mile away. <laughs> he has the best It's hearing. paradise.
1: Sound, sound just carries in paradise. But yeah, I did think, okay, I feel like they have severely fucked up the American trade market. They have. With this kind of con, hugely. But it's a happy ending, so it's fine. Yay. Poor people are poorer.
0: Rich people sit in (laughs) sand. How do you feel about the treatment of women in this film?
1: Yeah, that was going to be my question. I'm going to answer that question with a question. Is Ophelia a cliche
0: male fantasy? A hundred percent. She is a... Yes, she's a woman with agency because she's tough and she's individual And she's not scared of the slum that she's living in. And she's doing it for herself. But her character is at complete service of Winthorpe. She's only there to help Winthorpe. And more than that, she's at the service
1: of her male filmmakers. You know, there's two scenes where she completely, randomly takes her top off and gets her boobs out for no yeah. real reason whatsoever other than no titillation for the male viewers. Yeah,
0: it doesn't it doesn't push the narrative forward. It's, yeah. it's it doesn't serve the plot. It's so many instances they're... of
1: of women yeah. taking their tops off in this film purely because they're prostitutes. You know, it's this bizarre over oversexualization of women based on their um sort of work environment.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I I completely I completely get that. And I completely agree with that. You know, the depiction of sex workers in media has always been really shitty. They always Mm. live in terrible parts of the city. They're always dressed very, very provocatively. They're always... And sort of cheaply as well. Yeah, cheaply. Usually they're leaning against a lamppost with emaciated that just just woken up from a heroin coma that smoking <laughs> cigarettes and they are always seen as disposable yeah the only thing that this role has gone for it is that seemingly prior to meeting louie she was uh, an independent girl i've mm. got 42000 pounds saved up I think I've got another few years and then I can retire. How can you retire on like 60 grand? Yeah. That's silly. It doesn't make any she's sense. She's small, small ambitions. But yeah, I think there's,
1: there is a weird clash between the fact that she, there is a certain amount of agency going on there and there's a certain amount of sort of independence and she's not sort of just a body. She does have a plan. She's saved up this money. She knows what she wants to do with her life. But she's still essentially the cliched hooker with a heart of gold. You know, the, yeah. you're right. I think films portray prostitute sex workers, either as disposable bodies, um, or sort of like, you know, almost like they're asking for it kind of thing. You know, like a yeah. weird, a weird. Um, I don't know. It's just not very nice. But all they're kind of like they just stumble down a dark path and they needs to be rescued by a man with a rich uh, bank whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, it's Pretty Woman. You know, but I think it's a great role for Jamie Lee Curtis.
0: Well, no, I don't think it is a great role for Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it's... it's. I think she, she was far too famous and successful in her own right to just be mm, a side no, character. She, that... she
1: was famous as the, as the Scream Queen, and when she went for this role, the, the studio was like, oh, the horror girl. No, we don't want her, because everyone hated horror movies back then. And so I think this, even though the role itself is not particularly good i think it allowed her to show that she could do something other than horror and then she went on to like a
0: fish called wonder and stuff like that's where it was mm. like a stepping stone role i think so in that respect it's a good role for jamie lee curtis okay i i, I see what you mean i see what yeah. you mean
1: and she says that she thanks landis for single-handedly changing the course of her life she says so i think she kind of she knows that it wasn't the best role ever but she knows that it did stuff for her Mm. And, it, and similarly, Ferdy Murphy, you know, he this was only his second ever movie role after 48 hours, which I think hadn't even come out when he was cast. And mm. it was kind of sitting on a shelf somewhere and the studio weren't particularly impressed with it. And then when it went mad with test audiences, they were like, oh, all right, we'll give him a go. And I think partly it's because Richard Pryor like set fire
0: to himself or something, so they couldn't cast him. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he freebase accident. He ended up setting himself yeah. alight. And um, I think this is Eddie Murphy's best role. There are moments in this film where he doesn't play shit for comedy. When he's mistrustful yeah. of the Dukes, when yeah. he's when he sees Dan Aykroyd in the cab opposite, he doesn't play it for comedy. He plays it for drama. And mm. I think that's. I think people underestimate Eddie Murphy at times, and they only really see him for the, the the shit fifteen year period where he was just doing terrible things like The Nutty Professor or Doctor yeah. Doolittle Pluto or the Clumps or Pluto yeah Pluto Nash just shit like yeah. that. He is did you read e- that quote? Well, I,
1: I'm not sure where it was from, but he he said something recently about how. Whenever you bump into people that you had made really successful films with together, it's like, hey, hey, big time family guys, you know, love you, love you, love you. But then if you see somebody who made a really shit film with you, like Pluto and Nash, you cross the street and walk as fast as you can <laughs> in the other direction.
0: So no one ever talks to Eddie Murphy again. No. <laughs> no. And I like Dan Aykroyd in this film. Yeah. I can watch Dan Aykroyd. I love the way he talks. He's got that very fast, motor mouth Way of talking, yeah, and
1: you kind of you're what you feel for him, even though um he's just likable. I think you know when he's in the Santa suit and he's putting fish in his pockets and oh. steak and stuff, so disgusting. Ah. But, and he's but he's just so good at it, like staggering around
0: in a drunken state. And yeah, he's a clown. He's just he's likable. a comedian at heart. Yeah, but he also you know if you watch things like My Girl, he's actually a really mm. great dramatic actor. Yeah, definitely. Has the film aged
1: well? Uh, well, there's some stuff in it that really hasn't aged well. And it's... <laughs> oh, what could that be? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we'll get to the main one. But I think it's interesting that the villains of the film use the N-word. But the hero the yeah. hero of the film also uses the F-word, like a derogatory homophobic slur as well. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of something that hasn't aged very well. And actually, people never really talk about the homophobic slurs in the film. They they focus on the racist stuff, which absolutely is something that should be discussed. But, you know, the F word also is, is really not okay.
0: What else? What else is there in there? Do you think that has an age well? Oh, well, you know, nothing on the train, of course. The tra- <laughs> that train scene is, I see, no problem. There's nothing wrong no. with the train scene. Absolutely oh. nothing wrong with any sort of inter-species rape <laughs> Yeah <laughs> which is just comedy, there's nothing wrong with that. But it it is it I mean look, the blackface and the the comedy foreign accents I guess is definitely a sign of the times that it was seemingly accepted in hmm. mainstream comedy, mainstream movies that as a comedic device within the context of the film, it was seemingly okay. I don't think anyone would be making those choices now. Hmm. Maybe comedy accents, yes. Because I think comedy accents seems to be a very... um It seems to be something that... that it's like a tradition. But it's not yeah. necessarily a harmful tradition. I don't think anyone's going to be doing blackface anytime soon. Even though even though there is that line that Eddie Murphy says that he says, it seems to me that the way you hurt rich people is to turn them into poor people, which hmm. could be read as a black man understanding that the way you hurt white people in Reagan's America is you turn them into black people. Hmm. So cut forward to the train scene and Dan Aykroyd has weaponized blackface In a plan to harm white people. I mean, that is the most compelling
1: argument for it that i've heard i did do some research on the internet where there were lots of people desperately trying to justify him wearing blackface sort of saying well he's not doing it to offend anybody it's like well i mean even if he isn't doing it to offend anybody it is offensive yeah there's look there
0: is no justification
1: for that and usually when people was okay with it so clearly it was fine (laughs) eddie murphy was a nobody in this
0: film he would not have been able to change the script that much well he wasn't he wasn't that much of a nobody he had he was like one of the biggest comedians in america he was oh yeah he was the stand-up because of, king, wasn't he he was the snl king yeah he's the only snl cast member current cast member to host hmm. one of the episodes they've had people come back and host but never when you're actually a member of the cast so he was huge yeah. eddie murphy went yeah. from zero to hero overnight so he would have had all the power he would have had all the the clout yeah. but it was just a it's just a device that was used in comedy
1: yeah oh uh, yeah i mean it's like comedy accents like that that's been a long tradition that people sort of put on a a forced accent for com- comedic effect um but it, i did gasp when when dan, dan came in the carriage wearing his painted face it was actually quite shocking
0: with the the dreadlock wig and the accent but is there a hierarchy to what we find offensive in that Mm -hmm. in that train scene you've got eddie murphy pretending to be a african yeah yeah, like an african king which he would then go on and have a massive uh, yeah smash hit with coming to america and then coming to america this year so you've got eddie murphy being you know someone from cameroon you've got uh jamie lee curtis doing a european swedish, Swiss, swedish, swedish accent you've yeah. got coleman playing irish and you've got dan A yeah, oh with God. blackface so is there a hierarchy or or do we put them all on the same level what's what's the most offensive one there
1: isn't it um what's the thing that tom told me about it's like if you are... your boyfriend. Yeah, if
0: Just you... to give the listeners some context to this Sorry.
1: mysterious Tom. Long-time listeners, no, Tom. <laughs> no. Um, but isn't the rule something, or the rule should be something like, if you are making a film in a country that has never been uh, sort of, you know, taken over by another country, then you probably should be careful about... You know, if you've ever invaded another country, you probably shouldn't take the piss out of that country kind of thing
0: that just sounds like some sort of self-serving virtue signaling <laughs> bullshit meme because every country's been taken over by another yeah, country and so. every country if if that's the rule then we as the english have every right to bitch about the french on a daily basis uh-huh. because we were invaded and ruled by the french in 1066 but we do don't we, <laughs> we do <laughs> bitch about <the> french <laughs> oh yeah that is true yeah how do you say French?
1: So, but then if the French are mean about us, it's a bit like, oh, I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, that's not right.
0: Be. Let no. me take you back to 1066, <laughs> <Yeah>. monsieur. <laughs> that was Trading Places, directed by John Landis. Happy Christmas, all. Ha- <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. Let's have a sing along. We are back on New Year's Eve with our end of year top and bottom roundup. Yeah, we are. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and wherever you get your pods from so you don't miss that episode. And apparently, we're on something called Tweeder. We're on Twitter at Torn Stubbs pod
1: uh, come let us know what you thought of Trading Place is and let us know what you're going to be watching
0: over Christmas what are you going to watch over Christmas Rob? I don't know I'm away I'm in Denmark oh, yeah. so I'll be watching stuff in, th- in foreign language <laughs> <laughs> see it's fine because Denmark invaded us didn't they? <laughs> I'm sure they did at one point the Vikings we kid. are off We are off to step on the ball. Until next time. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Yeah.